Party people, it's your boy Ice Cold, and you tune in to another episode of the Ice Cold Show. We're gonna jump right into the episode for y'all today. First things first, to start with our quote: People who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. That's by Rob Siltonin. All right. So just believe in yourself, man. If you think that you can make a difference in this life and in this world, you absolutely can. But only those who think they have the ability to do that can do that. So keep that in mind. First things first, congratulations are in order for Coach Tom Thibodeau from the New York Knicks, who won his second Coach of the Year award this year for his role in reviving the Knicks franchise and leading them to the playoffs. You know, they lost in the first round, but he led them to a home playoff berth, um, which for the first time in a long time, man. So shout out to Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau. This is the second time in his career he's won the award, doing so 10 years ago with the Chicago Bulls. And the interesting fact about both times he won Coach of the Year, both times he won it, it was his first year as a coach for each team. So his first year as a head coach in Chicago, he won the award. And his first year as a head coach in New York Knicks, he won the award. So shout out Tom Thibodeau. Congratulations to you, man. You you coached the team great. I'm looking forward to see what you guys are going to do next year with the confidence and knowing you have the ability to make the playoffs. What can you guys do next year, you know, add more pieces, so on and so forth. Um, also, the inevitable was announced. Nikola Jokic is the NBA MVP. Seven years ago in the 2014 draft, I saw Andrew Wiggins go number one overall, followed by Joel Embiid, Julius Randle, Zach Levine, and even Jokic's current teammate Aaron Gordon all were taken in the 2014 draft all in the first round. But only one can call themselves the MVP, and it's the guy taken with the 41st overall pick. He also leads his draft class in win shares, by the way. So he's balling, man. He's like been the best player out this draft. Um, Joker received 91 out of the 101 first place votes, securing the first MVP win by a center since Shaq did it 21 years ago in the year 2000. Joker is also the lowest drafted player to win the award and joins Hakeem Olajuwon, Steve Nash, Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, and Giannis as the only international players to win the award. Next, Rudy Gobert. He won Defensive Player of the Year. This is the third time in his career he's won Defensive Player of the Year. He joins uh, Dwight Howard, Dikembe Mutombo, and Ben Wallace as the only players in NBA history to do it. And honestly, whether you like it or not, this probably stamps Rudy Gobert as a Hall of Famer. All those three guys are going to the Hall of Fame. There's only four people who've done it ever. I doubt he's the one who gets left out. So regardless of his offensive production or if you think he deserves blah, 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 he's probably going to the Hall of Fame. So congratulations, Rudy, man. You sealed your career with this Defensive Player of the Year. And plus, I doubt this is the last time he wins the award. He's only 26 years old. The Jazz were third this year in team defense, and Rudy led the league in defensive win shares. And if you don't know, that basically means like it's a metric. Defensive win shares is a metric that shows how many wins you produce for your team based on your defensive stats and well 
Utah had the best record in the league, and Rudy Gobert led the lead in defensive win share. So there you have it. Uh, last news before we get into the, to the games, the Pacers fired their head co- their head coach Nate Bjorkin after his first year with the team. So one and done for uh, Coach Nate. He f- Pacers fell just short of making the playoffs this year and now start the offseason for the second year in a row looking for a head coach. Safe to say at this at this point, firing Nate McMillan wasn't your best move. I know he wasn't able to get out of the first round with with the team, but hey, you didn't even make the playoffs this year. And look at Nate. He's got the Hawks looking formidable in the playoffs, not only out the first point out the out of the first round, but they giving the Sixers a run for their money out here in the second with the series tied one to one. And you know, you 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 might would have made the playoffs with him. Um, but the good thing for the good thing for the Pacers is they interviewed twenty plus coaches last year and should have a good idea about what the direction they want to go moving forward. Seeing that you know hiring Coach Nate, they said he lost the locker room. That didn't work out with you. It's not like you're going all the way back and starting from scratch. You kind of have a general idea of the coaches you like, the situations you like, how you want your team to be, to play and be ran in contrast to what you just had this year. So. Gonna be interesting to see what the Pacers do. They got a lot of things, a lot of moves, and that they can make, and that they should be looking to make with their core of Sabonis, uh, Karis LeVert. Um, looks like Miles Turner is gonna be on his way out. Brogdon's still there, so gonna be interesting to see what Indiana decides to do uh, moving forward. Now let's break down these games. We had two games uh, happen the other day that we gotta cover first, and we're gonna ha- cover the game from tonight. Um, so let's jump into the first game we got is the Hawks 102 lose to the 76ers 118 and the Sixers come out and they tied the series one to one. Philly was able to come out and secure a big victory in game two of this series. The game started off with Philly taking off in the first leading 33 to 20 at the quarters end. Tobias lit up Atlanta scoring 16 points in eight minutes shooting 8-for-9 from the field. He carried the 76ers early on by simply getting to the rim. Got a train in the background. Simply getting to the rim. Most of his points came from layups, and Philly needed it getting no more than five points from the next highest scoring players on the team. So in the first quarter, it was Tobias, and that was pretty much it. Like Nobody else had more than five. Clint Capella picked up two fouls early on, which opened up the middle of the floor for the cutters in Philly, and they were able to cut and get to the rim without that shot blocker being his aggressive self at the rim and contesting shots, which kind of helped them get get their little confidence and find their stride early. The second quarter, Atlanta got a boost from their bench to cut the lead down to just two going into the half. Herter and Gallinari both put up 10 points each in the second for the Hawks, hitting four for five from three between the two of them. Trey Young started to find his footing in the second quarter as well, shooting three for four and adding a f- uh, four assists, helping the Hawks get into a, you know, a slight flow. Joel Embiid put up 11 in the quarter himself, getting into a flow of the offense while Capella sat and watched from the bench for the majority of the quarter with those fouls. Seth Curry also, was he started lighting it up, doing what he's done. He's been, he's been solid these playoffs for them. He had 14 points at half, giving the Sixers a, a boost in the second when he was three for three. Uh, from three and what jumped out to me after the Hawks first half was um, they were able to get 32 bench points 15 each from Gallinari and Kevin Herter while Philly got zero points scoring from the bench was a combined 0 for 6 no one from Philly scored off the bench 
Um, it was just interesting because all the production came strictly from their starters. While, like I said, the Hawks were able to get solid production from their bench, and the lead wasn't the lead wasn't outrageous. You know, it's a two point game, and and it's like, wow, that's interesting. Can Philly, can Philly starters carry them to this game, and can the Hawks bench help them steal another one? Well, Joe B came out in the second half, and he just completely dominated the third quarter, winning that quarter for the Philadelphia 76ers as well, and helping keep the Hawks at bay, who were very, very feisty this quarter. Embiid put up 17 points in the third, scoring one more point than he did in the whole first half. Philly had a rough third quarter defensively, though, not being able to figure out the Hawks' offense, but thanks to Embiid, they made a late push in the last two minutes, giving them the lead going into the fourth, letting the Hawks come back into the game and even take a brief one-point lead at a point in the third quarter. Bogdanovich found his rhythm, and he made Philly pay this quarter, hitting two threes and putting up 10 points in the quarter. The fourth wouldn't be as tight, man. Philly finished them off in the fourth, not letting the Hawks spark any kind of run, and Shake Milton was special off the bench. For a team that we mentioned got zero bench production in the first half as far as scoring the ball, in the second half, the Sixers got 26 points um, from their bench, and they were led by Shake Milton, Shake Milton, who had 14 of those points himself. Joe Embiid was the man in the room. For this game, after not winning MVP, Embiid put up 40 points, 13 rebounds, and had 24 of those points in the second half. Embiid had been so aggressive in this series, man, and I just love watching him play. Like, it looks so good, man. The growth to his game, the maturity, it has been beautiful. Like, every year he's getting better. He's getting to the line, and I think he's able to get to the line at this high rate because he understands that nobody out in the NBA can guard him, especially not one-on-one. And even when you send the double, it's usually not enough to stop him. And so he's going straight at you, and it's either, hey, I'm going to get this bucket in the post, or I'm going to attack you and, and, and get two, or you're going to foul me. And he's able to hit his three still. So I, I'm liking what I see with him, and it's like his mental – and the way he approaches the game has caught up with all his potential and his talent. So, shout out to Embiid. You look, re- you've been looking really good this year. And in the playoffs, it stayed the same. No matter even you, you tore your knee up. Um, Tobias Harris had a had a slow second half after he came out firing in the first quarter. He still was able to finish with twenty two points, six rebounds, four assists. Seth Curry has been showing how valuable he is in these playoffs, putting up 21 points on 8 for 13 shooting and hitting a staggering 5 for 6 from 3. I mean, he lighting them up, man. If he's getting the opportunity to sling that thing from 3, he's hitting it. So shout out him, man. The, them Currys, boy, you know them Currys can shoot that thing. Ben Simmons' play is very concerning to me. Um, Philly wants to get out this round and make the finals and move forward. Finally, in the playoffs this year, they need him to be a threat. Like, he didn't even put up one shot in the second half. I think the free throw shooting, the Hacker Simmons tactic is definitely getting in his head to where he doesn't want to touch the ball at times. And it's just like, you don't, you can't, you can't play like that. Like, you have to make the defense think that you're a threat. Even just running around, cutting, setting screens, and moving constantly on the floor. Like, it just gets the defense to think and pay attention to you, even if you're not shooting the ball. Like well, and you know, you know, we know you don't want to shoot the three. We know you struggle from the free throw line, but if they're going to foul you, get them in foul trouble. Attack the rim. You got to do something, man. You got to look. You got to be on the floor. Everyone on the floor has to look like some sort of threat, and I think that's the the key for Ben to pick it up, man. He's got to look like a threat. As great as Ben is at basketball, I mean, he does 
everything else, his lack of aggressiveness offensively is seriously handicapping this game. And it's handicapping the Sixers title chances this year. He got to pick it up. Um, Danny Green, he still shot bad, but they won. So obviously no one really cares. You know, hey, you shoot bad in a loss or whatever, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay. You shoot bad or whatever, but we pull it out. You know, people ain't going to jump on you and kill you for it as much. But he's got to pick it up as well. And there's so much improvement that they can that they can make, like the Philadelphia 76ers can make moving forward. Uh, you know, I, I still see them winning this series. Um, Trey Young. Trey Young had 21 points, 11 assists in this loss. Bogey had 14 points and 7 rebounds. But him and Trey both only shot 37% from the field, each 37% from the field. And then they combined for 3 of 13 from 3. It's rough. Um, the bright spot was obviously Kevin Herter and Gallinari off the bench. Herter had 20 points on 8 and 10 from 8 from 10 for shoot, shooting from the field, and Gallinari added 21 points and nine assists. And they both came off the bench balling out. Something the Hawks really need, and they got some bad news with DeAndre Hunter. I know I had him as an X factor. I thought he looked really, really good against New York, and he changes everything they can do defensively on the team. And he's a wing player who's got a little bit of confidence off offensively, and will shoot the ball and will attack the rim, so on and so forth. He's torn his. He's got a knee tear, and I think it's meniscus. So he's out for the rest of the playoffs. So the Hawks will have to keep playing without him, which they've been doing. So I don't think they can't do it, but they would love to have him on the floor. Um, turnovers hurt the Hawks in this game. They had 17 to the Sixers, 7. And defensively, the Sixers picked up their play, leading uh, the game in blocks and steals this game, which is different than they have in the last couple games. They just Their defensive intensity was was way better. They guarded Trey Young way better. Um, I, like to see, I can't wait to see what's going to happen in this rubber match, Game 3, where Atlanta goes home. They have the crowd behind them, and they have the energy. Atlanta's crowd been great this playoff run. So I want to see what happens when they go to ATL and see if the Hawks can come out and win Game 3 and put a lot more pressure back on Philadelphia. Next, we had the Clippers versus the Utah Jazz. The Clippers lost a tight one, 109, and Jazz pulled it out, 112, to take a 1-0 a lead going into uh, game two of this series. We have what looks like to be the best series of the playoffs right here. I think both teams match up well. I think this game, every game will be tightly t contested. I think both teams have bad games, and you still saw you know, a very good game, so I like this series. Um, the end score of this game doesn't even begin to tell the story of this game, which saw both teams go on huge runs and have big leads get evaporated, as it feels like the Jazz stole a game from the Clippers, even though the Jazz had home court advantage. Um, the Clippers came out, jumped on Utah in the first half. Utah had a lot of rest before the series started. They finished their series at five as the Clips and the Mavs went to seven before the Clips were able to pull it off. And the Clippers held a Utah lead, or held Utah to only 18 points in the first quarter, ending the quarter with a seven-point lead. Utah would look very, very rusty coming out, and their energy wasn't as high as it usually was. And I think that has a lot to do with the days off. Um... Clippers led early. That it was impressive because Kawhi and Paul George didn't show up offensively in the first quarter. They only scored two points each. They had good energy on the floor, though, and they were able to attack the boards, but they couldn't really find their stroke, which set the stage for Luke Kennard. Let me say that again. Luke Kennard, who's signed for $64 million over four years, hasn't really done 
nothing this season for the Clippers. He was able to come off the bench and put up three for three from three and nine points in the first quarter. Clippers shot bad in the first 36, 36%, but the Jazz were horrendous shooting 17%. Um, that's how the first quarter went. A lot of bricks. Um, the second, the Jazz were able to pick it up scoring-wise, but so did the Clippers, who parlayed their good shooting into a 13-point lead at half. So they built on their 7-point lead and put another 6 up, going up 13 at the half, as the Utah Jazz were still unable to find their stroke offensively. And the Clippers shot the ball a little better than them pretty much the whole first half. Whatever Donovan Mitchell did at halftime, whatever he ate, whatever he drank, whoever he texted, he needed to do that every game at halftime from now on. He torched the Clippers, and they had no answer for him in the third quarter. He's an alpha dog, bro. He's one of those players who's like, he's the man. Like he And he knows he's the man. He's he confident in his mind that he's the man since day one he's been in the NBA. He walks the walk. He talks the talk. He is that guy. He was six for eight put up 16 points, adding two threes in the third quarter alone and sparking a run by Utah that brought them back into this game. And even at a point in, in the third quarter, even gave them the lead, et cetera, et cetera. Like they fought up and down and got the lead after they were down by as many as 14 points in the first half. In one quarter, they were able to turn it around with 16 from Donovan Mitchell. The Jazz held the Clippers to their lowest production for a quarter in this game at 19 points in a quarter while putting up 32 points of their own. Which It was just an excellent quarter from Utah. They were able to pick it up defensively. The Clippers weren't able to find their stroke, and they kind of were staggered. Like when Donovan Mitchell came out and kind of hit them in the mouth in the start of the second half, they kind of they didn't respond for a minute. They were a little shook. And Utah parlayed that into making this a game. So now you go down after being up, being down 14 at half. You come out in the third, you make it a game. And so now the game is tied going into the fourth quarter, and there's only one quarter left, 12 minutes to decide. Nothing matters what happened in the first three quarters now. You have 14 minutes. I mean, you have 12 minutes to win the game. Um, Utah crowd was behind them because they had all the momentum, though. And I think this is where home court advantage matters. When you're the road team and you have the home team on the ropes, you can't let that crowd get involved because we haven't had the crowd and we haven't had the fans for so long. They weren't as loud as Phoenix's crowd in game one, but they were so important in this victory and to keeping the energy high in the building. And yeah, they, they were just definitely behind them starting off that quarter. And that's the push the Jazz needed to close it out. Um, the Jazz got the, bo the boost from the crowd. Let, took the lead at the 10-minute mark and were able to hold hold on to the win from there. So they did take the lead early in the fourth and was able to hold it all the way to the end, but it didn't come easy, and it didn't come without driver. Occupying a 112-104 to 104 lead with a minute 19 left, for those who can't do quick math, that's eight points. The Jazz were unable to score again. So what at the one-minute 19-second mark, the Jazz didn't score no more with only an eight-point lead. L.A., on the other hand, got a layup from Kawhi, got a Donovan Mitchell turnover after he a bad pass, and then after missing a three by Kawhi Leonard, Rondo gets the rebound, the offensive rebound, finds Paul George, who nails a three, making it a three-point game with 38 seconds left. Just like that, the game is in the balance. 38 seconds means you don't have to foul, just play good defense. And Donovan Mitchell, he missed an 18-foot jumper to seal, basically seal the win. And with 18 seconds left and not calling a timeout.
Why didn't they call a timeout? I don't know. They didn't call a timeout. The Clippers, they lose on a questionable offensive possession where who takes the last shot? You would think Kawhi, no. Paul George, no. Marcus Morris took the last shot in the corner, and he got he got it swatted by Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, to seal the game one victory for Utah. Like, he tried to pump fake Gobert, and Gobert jumped in the air where I seen on TNT. They said, why not jump into Gobert at that point? You got him up in the air. You could jump into him, get the three free throws, send the game in overtime. And I think if he would have did that and was able to get that call, it would have took all the energy out of the building and going into the overtime. But obviously he did not. He pumped fake. Rudy jumps by, and he tries to step to the side and shoot it again, and Rudy blocks it. And at that point, the buzzer sounds. Game is over. Spider, Spider Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell was the man in the arena this game. 45 points, 5 assists, 3 rebounds, 16 for 30 from the field. That's 53%. 6 for 15 from 3. That's 40%. And 7 for 8 from the line. That's 85%. Amazing offensive scoring from Donovan Mitchell in which his team needed absolutely all of it. Mitchell is now tied with Karl Malone for the most 40-point playoff games in franchise history with four. First off, it's interesting that Karl Malone, one of the best scorers ever, who's obviously the second, if you don't know, he's the second highest point scorer in NBA history. For him to only have four 40-point playoff games is strange. But for Donovan Mitchell to catch him in what is only his third year in the league, Every All three years he's been in the playoffs, all three years he's been playing great in the playoffs, and he's going he's gonna to break this record before this series is over, and I think he's going to break, and I think they might win this series, and he got a chance to take the Utah Jazz to the finals and maybe win a title that they've never won. All four teams in the West have never won a title. Phoenix, Utah, uh, the Clippers, and who's the last team in? Phoenix, Utah, Clippers... I'm drawing a blank on the fourth team right now. Oh, the Nuggets. They had, None of these teams have never, ever, ever won the finals. So it'll be interesting if they if one of these teams can beat the Nets. I think it'll be great for them to win their first their first title in franchise history. Um, but just to just to give you an idea of how great Donovan Mitchell's been in his three years of the playoffs, he's averaging in his career 28 points, five rebounds, four assists in the playoffs. Uh, Bojan and Jordan Clarkson put up 18 points this game apiece. Clarkson getting all his from deep, shooting six for 14 from three. Um, Gobert did not have a good game offensively, but he was able to attack the boards with 12 rebounds, added 10 points, so he still got his double-double and was absolutely amazing defensively, obviously especially on that final possession, which sealed the game against uh, Marcus Morris. But the key to this game to me was Rudy Gobert being able to play without fouling out. So he picked up his fifth foul with five minutes left. So at five minutes in the game, the Clippers weren't able to put him in a situation or in a position where he picked up another foul. And yet he he was on the floor at the end of the game and he made a great impact. So something to keep the eye on is Rudy Gobert and his foul trouble. The only game that the Utah Jazz lost all year in these playoffs was a game against Memphis in which Donovan Mitchell didn't play. And Rudy Gobert fouled out, and they only lost it by, like, one or two points. Um, Paul George had a very rough shooting night this game. I know we talked about that last episode after they beat the Mavs. He hasn't been able to shoot well, but he's able to be effective. But if he can't continually shoot good and he keeps shooting bad, it's going to hurt the Clippers, and it's hurting him right now. Um, He picked it up in the third quarter, um, in the fourth quarter. 
uh, scoring 13 points after having a very, very rough outing in the, in the first three quarters. He finished with 20 points and 10 rebounds, shot the ball 23% from three, four for 17 from, I mean, 23% from the field, four for 17, and three for eight from three. The Clippers, they got great minutes from Luke Kennard tonight. He had 18 points on seven of nine shooting, and he hit he he got hot and hit four threes. Zubak added some good minutes as well. Um, I think he could be important if the, in this series if the Clippers are able to pull it out and win this series. It'll be because Zubak is stepping up and playing a big role. He had good minutes off the bench. He played like 26 minutes. And, you know, they have a big body in Rudy Gobert, so you're going to have to play some minutes with this center. Um, just so you can fight on the boards. Kawhi led the Clippers with 23 points and 7 rebounds, but he wasn't the, the robot version of Kawhi. He wasn't the Terminator. Uh, that's what I like to call him is the Terminator. Uh, we saw we didn't see the guy who closed out the Mavs in Game 6 and Game 7. We just saw a different version of Kawhi who wasn't as efficient. He was 1 for 9 from 3 and 9 for 19 from the field. Uh, moving forward, you know, Game 2 we got coming up, Utah at home. You know, Clippers didn't have their best game, and they only lost by three. But if you f you flip that on the other side, Utah didn't play like they usually play. It wasn't a good game for Rudy Gobert, really offensively. Donovan Mitchell carried them late. They all shot the ball not too well in the first half. So it'll be interesting to see if both teams either pick it up or one team picks it up and the other doesn't isn't able to match the energy because that'll determine how good uh, next game goes and who wins. So... You know, 1-0, man, in Utah, Utah can steal this one and puts a lot of pressure on Clippers going back to L.A. down 0-2. But, I mean, they were down 0-2 last series, and they were able to come out and pull it in. But you don't want to keep going game seven. So I think the Clippers, should, Clippers really, really, really should try their best to come out there and steal this game and come out with high energy and focus on not shooting a lot of threes, especially Paul George. Try to focus on getting to the rim. You already had Rudy Gobert in foul trouble and against against his uh you know with his back against the wall. Then it's all about not blowing leads. You had a 13 point lead at half. If you could able to keep that lead and not let Donovan Mitchell cook you like he did in the third quarter, it changes this game as well. So this game could go a lot of ways. I think this game was really, really, really good. I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, lastly, we had the game from tonight. The Suns, 123. They beat the hell out the Nuggets, 98. 1-0. They had a 1-0 lead. Now they up 2-0 in this series. Um, we're going to break down this whole game, man. The, the MVP was looking good early on. When he's aggressive on the offensive glass and in the post early like this, it opens up the game. Um, Aiden picked up a foul set in the screen on Compazzo, and then shortly after, like a minute after, he gets one guarding Jokic with still seven minutes left in the quarter. And, like, that kind of hampered his aggressiveness on defense. Like, it was, he still was able to compete and, and contest shots, and Monty Williams didn't take him out of the game. But I was like, whoa, he got two quick ones. And like him being able to match Jokic's production has been key for them to win that game. What was key for them winning the game one? Phoenix experimented with a, experimented with a zone a couple times after Aiden picked up his second foul, but he was able, he was able to man up and compete without fouling. Uh, Mikael Bridges was way more comfortable I see in this series than he was last series with the Lakers. He kind of found his stride last series, and he's just fluid on the floor like. Even when he's not hitting his shots or whatever, he's uh, he's doing what I want Ben Simmons to do. He's always moving. He's always cutting. His activity is always there, whether he's making his shots or not. Because I don't believe he shot the ball super spectacular from three, but he had a very good game this game. Uh, he's finding the holes in Denver's defense. He's hitting a little tough jumpers, and 
He's just moving and giving them problems. Denver's struggling to hit from deep early on. They start the quarter 0 for 8 from deep, but they kept shooting them. And Will Barton, key for the Nuggets. People always talk about Jamal Murray being hurt. Will Barton's been out for a very long time with a hamstring energy. He was able to play this game. He was on a minute restriction, but he came out and he was balling early on. He gave them a nice spark off the bench. He hit their only three in the quarter and had a nice block on Cam Johnson. Um, as Cam Johnson was going on a fast break, he was able to go pin it at the rim and led to another point for um, Phoenix. I mean, for Denver. I liked what I saw from Will Barton, man. I really did. He changes a lot for that team. He gives them another dog, another uh, a scrappy player offensively and defensively. And I think if he can play well, it'll really help Denver going moving forward. Jokic had eight early points with a five rebounds. Not so good for the Nuggets. MPJ can't find this rhythm. So though Jokic is playing well and Jokic is finding his flow early on, Michael Porter Jr. cannot find his rhythm this series. He's 0 for 6 in the quarter, but he's 0 for 5 from 3. That means he shot one shot that wasn't a 3 and obviously missed it. But 0 for 5 from 3, man, he has to stop doing this. It's too many nights as a young player where he's just chucking them up from 3 and he doesn't find his rhythm, but he doesn't do anything different. He doesn't change his game plan. He doesn't attack the rim more. He just keeps chucking up the threes, and I don't think that's smart from, from him. He's got to learn how to get his rhythm and find his stroke from the line. Hey, I'm not hitting my threes. Let me go to the free throw line where he's a pretty good free throw shooter. I watch a couple go in and build my confidence up. Nuggets finished the first quarter or the first half. No, the first quarter. One for 13 from three and nine for 30 from the field, yet only down four points going into the second quarter. The Suns, on the other hand, their starters have 20 of the 25 team point, so no, get, not getting a lot of production from the bench, but their starters all played well. They all were able to move the ball around. I think Chris Paul was the lowest scorer in the quarter with two points, so that was a pretty good, pretty good quarter from the Suns, able to force them to shoot the threes that they can't make, and you're able to capitalize on that on the offensive side of the ball. The Suns' energy in the second quarter started to extend the lead. When you play hard, good things happen. When you're out there putting all on the line and diving over the ball and you're running, switching, talking, communicating, like though you may not be the most talented player, it's going to work out for you because you're doing the right things. The ball's going to find the ball finds good energy. That's very, very true. And they had that. Uh, Cam Johnson, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Cam Johnson gets his layup pinned by the rim. But instead of complaining, crying to the refs and blah, 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 he turns around, puts his head down, he sprints up the floor, and he's able to back pick whoever's dribbling the ball for the Nuggets. I forget who it is, but he was able to back pick them, getting a steal that leads to a shark dunk off a of Chris Paul fine. So stuff like that, it just that's what changes the game. And I really like the second unit of Phoenix. When they play that second unit with Chris Paul on the floor, oh my goodness, they're dangerous. Cam Johnson and Torrey Craig, both scrappy wings who can shoot the ball from three. They get after it defensively. They're always crashing the glass. Torrey Craig was making giving them opportunities where he wasn't able to, to get the offensive rebound. But because he's in there fighting, Denver knocks it out of bounds and the Suns able to steal another possession. Little things like that. We already talked about Cam Johnson with the back steal and him being def uh, scrappy and all that stuff defensively. But those two are on your wing. You got Dario Sarjic, who Dario Saric as your backup playing your backup center role at the second unit. He's versatile. He's got nice size on him. He can bang. He can get to the rim. He can shoot the three. 
and he can he can score the score the ball from out there, which he did this quarter. And then you got my boy CP15, Cameron Payne, um, who hasn't been as hot as he was against the Lakers this series, which is gonna be hard to do because he was absolutely amazing. But he's still giving you good minutes. So that second unit, man, they came out and they were able to change the tide for this team. And even then, they're able to take, you know, get Devin Booker his rest, which is valuable because he's the best player on the team, pretty much. Then you take out Cameron Payne and you insert Devin Booker with that second unit, and you still get the scrappiness and the the wing play from uh, Cam Johnson and Toy Craig, and you got Sarge in there. But now you got Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the backcourt. It's just dangerous when they come in with that second unit. It's a it's an underrated second unit to me. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. finally scores his first bucket, but he does so with three minutes and 40 seconds left in the second quarter. Um, Booker, Devin Booker has been studying Kobe's playoff runs, you can tell. Like, you can tell he's been watching film on Kobe Bryant, and I, I, I literally would bet my life on it. Since he's not torching my Lakers right now, I can actually enjoy how he's playing, and I can enjoy the resemblance of my favorite player on the floor. Like, he looks like the my favorite player of all time, Kobe Bryant. Like he looks just like him on the floor. He's getting right to the free throw line. He's posting up and demanding the ball, and he's shooting that fadeaway and is resembling Bean so much. There was a play in particular I remember where him and Chris Paul was running like a two man game. Booker's trying to post up Compazzo after he gets the switch after setting a screen for Chris Paul at the free throw line, and Compazzo's fighting and kind of pushes him off the spot. No problem, Devin Booker pops out, takes the ball at the three point line. Passes it to the wing, and then he reposts right there at the at the free throw line, extended again. Like goes right back to the spot where Composito gets the ball and shoots the fade. And it rolls off the rim, but just that aggressiveness of okay, I'm getting in my spots. You push me off, or I'm gonna repost and I'm gonna get right back to the spot I want to be, and I'm gonna get my shot. And though he missed that one, he made it. Like the next two possessions, he made it, and then the next one he got fouled. So liked what I saw from Devin Booker, definitely. Like the fact that I can see little things that resemble and remind me of of Kobe Bryant. I'm really rooting for Phoenix. You know they beat my team. This is a team I really like, and I I like to see what they're doing moving forward. The Suns' defense has been the difference in the first half. They are aggressive and they are flying around, poking the ball out at ball handlers. They're in the passing lanes. Uh, they're contesting almost everything. That coupled with the fact that the Nuggets just can't get the deep ball to fall is spelling trouble early on. The Nuggets are getting the shots that they want. They're just not able to knock them down, I, I feel like. like They're able to get those wide-open threes. The way the Suns' defense is set up, they're stopping Jokic and trying to stop everything inside. So they're able to shoot the ball from deep, but they're not able to hit it. And what makes it even worse is the Nuggets aren't getting to the line at all. Nikola Jokic was the only player from the Nuggets to shoot a free throw for the team in the first half. Total, like nobody else got to the line. He's the only one who was able to get to the line. Um, he was two for two from the free throw line. Keep in mind, Denver's game one loss, they only shot six free throws total in that game as well. So it's been a theme where they're not able to get to the line against this Phoenix team. And that shout out to Phoenix defense. They were able to play without fouling, but it's also showing that Denver is not being aggressive enough in this game and not attacking the rim. So they got to preach that going into halftime, going into the rest of the series is attack the rim and play more aggressive. The Suns were able to extend their lead to 10 going into the half. Third quarter, 
It starts with others, the others, man. The others for Phoenix heating up. Crowder knocks down two threes, sparking an early timeout for Denver as they come out flat after halftime and on the bad side of an 8-1 run to start the quarter. It's only been a minute and a half into the half, and it, and it was over right then. Like, at that point, the game's over. CP3 is killing Denver's defense with the penetration off the dribble. It's like death by a thousand cuts. He just slicing through their defense repeatedly, slicing and dicing. He finds Aiton with a lob, and then the next possession, he goes down and slices him up again and finds Bridges in the corner for three. Much of the same we saw in the first half from Denver. Um, the energy just wasn't there. They get it in surges, but it's never like any continuity. Like Aaron Gordon will play good for a stretch, and then Jokic will play good for a stretch, and then Composite will do a couple things for a stretch. Will Barton will come in and give them a stretch, but they never can get it all to come together as a unit, and they all they never made that push together. Like, hey, everybody on three push and come back and make the lead. That's what I didn't see from them. Uh, still a lot of selling for threes and jumpers. The crowd, it started get rocking again, and next thing you know, the lead is doubled. You went from 10-point game to a 20-point game. Then that's when you saw the chippiness pick play, the chippy play pick up. Crowder and Gordon get into it. They trade forearm shivers. And you got to love having a guy like Crowder on your team. He gets into other players' heads. He sets the tone. And he's always that tough guy. He always finds a way to give his team something extra to play for. What I mean by that is he gets into it with Aaron Gordon, right? What happens in that same possession after the double foul? He suckers Aaron Gordon into committing an offensive foul. And, who's, you know, he flops on the floor or whatever. He gets the offensive foul, gets the turnover, and the crowd erupts. The team erupts. Everybody's like, yeah. He makes the other. He makes enemies out of the guys on the other team. He makes enemies out of the guys in the opposite locker room. He plays with that chip on his shoulder, and he takes everything on the floor so personal. And he's one of those guys who obviously his teammates love, and they ride for him because because once he does it, he does it every series. He does it every time they're on the floor. They play harder for him. So he's able to get into the Nuggets head and boom, you know, it just, they already got a 20 point lead. It's just like throwing dirt on the live body, man. They burying them alive at this point. The game still got a whole quarter left and they already throwing the dirt on them, man. It's, it, the Suns are not just winning the physical game this series. They're not just winning the game between the lines, their game plan, their defense, and all that stuff. They're dominating the mental game as well right now. They believe in themselves. They just beat the defending champions in the first round where they injured Chris Paul. Now they're finding their health. They're tearing up the Nuggets. They look serious, man. They look formidable. And in their minds, bro, they think they're the best team in the West, and I can't say they're not. Um, This is a well-coached a well-oiled machine, and right now they got all the swag. So I, I, it just spell in trouble, man, for Denver Nuggets. I, I don't know what they're going to do. It, everything is different, though, when you go back home. At the end of the day, Phoenix did what they're supposed to do, just like with Brooklyn. You won the two games at home. It don't matter how much you won them by no more. You won your two games at home. Now you got to go steal one on the road, and that's what we'll see if this series change in game three. If the Nuggets are able to keep keep up the fight and steal a game or, or win a game at home, put the pressure back on Phoenix to not let the series get tied. So be interesting to see what happens in game three. To finish up with the little stats here we're going to throw in at the end, Chris Paul, 17 points, 15 assists. He was the man in the room for me tonight. He had zero turnovers. He's leading this team. It's just so good to see Chris Paul. 
at his high age and all the people who doubted him and didn't think he had anything left in the tank and when he was in Houston and them throwing him away and sending him down to OKC with the rebuilding team, him turning that franchise into a playoff team, then him coming out in Phoenix and turning them from a team who didn't make the playoffs, was able to find their stride in the bubble and take them to be the second team, second best team in the West, second best team in the NBA. It's been a, a, amazing the year Chris Paul's had. He finished fifth in MVP voting. So, you know, he got a little recognition for what he's done. But shout out Chris Paul, man. DeAndre Ayton, he had 15 points, 10 rebounds. He didn't match Jokic all the way, but he's able to counteract what Jokic is able to do on the floor, which has been great. D-Book, 18 points, 10 rebounds. Another good game from him. And you have Mikael Bridges have 16 points um, for the Suns. Next, you had the, uh, for the Nuggets, you had Joker, 24 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. Michael Porter Jr., 11 points, 6 rebounds, 3 for 13 from the field, man. That's rough. Uh, the key stats I have for this game is the Nuggets, 60% from the line, 12 for 20. The Suns, on the other hand, 40% from the field, 40% from 3, and 15 for 17 from the free throw line. Shot the ball just absolutely better. Just absolutely better. Maybe that's a product of them being home. We don't know. We'll see when we go into game three. That is it for the Ice Cold Show today. We broke down the games. We got a couple more games tonight. We'll be ready to get back into you. Be on the lookout for Most Overpaid coming out soon. And for those who made it to the end of the show, check it out. We're going to have a giveaway coming up with my boy DC4L Custom Tees, where you'll be able to get a t-shirt from his website. You can get an Ice Cold Show shirt if you want to. If not, you can choose anything on his website and get a free t-shirt. So we'll be doing the giveaway. Stay tuned for more info on that coming up soon. As always, it's your boy Ice Cold. This is the Ice Cold Show. And as always, it's been a uh, and you ain't never hit the trap like this so stop front nigga i stayed down for the come up a nigga grinding to the sun up i'm trying to stack these funds up make sure i raise my sons the right way could give a fuck about what you might say yeah, they